Hi, welcome to the Book of Medora podcast, the podcast where we discuss the lore of the Legend of Zelda series. My name is Crystal, and with me is Monica. Hello. And Cameron. Hi. Now today is part two of our series on Twilight Princess. At the end of this episode, we are going to plan to reach the end of the tutorial. Yes. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that. That's not too ambitious, I hope. Now, when we left off, Link and Midna had just met a mysterious cloaked figure. I really like this mysterious cloaked figure's design. Well, th- we first saw her in one of the really early trailers, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of speculation as to why she was wearing that cloak. Like, people assume that it was a cloak of mourning, or that she was in hiding, or even that she was some kind of criminal. The answer is all of that. And none of that. None of that. <laughs> it would never be touched off. upon. I'm sorry, what'd you say, Crystal? I think Princess Zelda of Hyrule is just a goth. Oh, and why is that? Well, all Sheikahs are goths. Is and Princess she's an Zelda- honorary Sheikah. Is she in Twilight Princess a Sheikah? Well, she's got the Sheikah symbol on her cloak. She's at, at minimum appropriating Chica culture. Oh dear. I hmm. I don't hmm. Let's assume it was gifted. I would. By uh, I would very much assume that it's a protective cloak given to her by one of her attendants. That's what they say. Oh, That's so it's they... like the cloaks from Kingdom Hearts. Uh, what are the cloaks from Kingdom Hearts? Do you know the black cloaks that people wear in Kingdom Hearts? Yeah, for the organization thirteen. Yeah, those protect you from the darkness of the dark world. So you can travel between worlds without getting fucked up. Right. Oh, I see. You think this protects her from the twilight so she doesn't become a ghost or a wolf? Supposedly, but she's got a piece of the Triforce, so you gotta assume that if it came off, she'd turn into, like, a wolf now, or... hold on, you keep saying supposedly as if we know that this whole it was given to her by an attendant thing is a fact. Where did you hear this? In the art design. It's not that it was given by an attendant, but that it is A, a sign of mourning for her kingdom or symbolic mourning, and B, protects her from the twilight. Huh. Well, we know that's not true. Why not? Because she's still wearing it when shit goes bad. Yeah, but that's her giving up the Triforce and whatever. Right, but what I'm saying is that the cloak itself doesn't protect her from the twilight, and art books aren't canon anyway. I know. Okay. I'm just reciting what is claimed. Oh. Uh, Impa is not her attendant in this version. <laughs> yeah, where is Impa in this one? Oh, Impa's not in this game. Instead, we have Impaz, who is a different character. That's fucked up. What sort of animal do you think Zelda would turn into, though? What? What? She has a piece of the Triforce. You think she would turn into some sort of a spirit beast thing instead of a a shadow? An eagle, you say? Yeah, the symbol of the kingdom. Because it seems to me that she's just staunchly a person. How about one of the Skyloft birds? Yeah. Loftwing. A Loftwing. A big, goofy Loftwing. But... She's just she stays a person. She's in the twilight through this whole sequence. But she's Why wearing she the super cloak. turn into an animal. Because she's a girl. Girls don't turn into animals. Girls don't turn into animals. Girls oh, okay. get to sit and look out of windows and be sort of sad for a while. So Link meets a mysterious robe figure and he growls at this figure, but then he sees that she's a pretty girl, so he calms down and Impa and uh, not Impa Midna rolls her eyes as Link approaches her. I'm so glad that you made the same mistake that I did last time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Zelda knows Midna's name. They appear to have spoken before. Yes. They're at least acquainted. Why do you think this is? 
If I had to take a guess, Midna went to the person in charge of Hyrule as soon as she came over into the World of Light, and that's Zelda. And uh, Midna seems to hold Zelda in contempt all throughout this scene, so I'm taking it that she didn't hear what she wanted to hear when she was talking to the princess of Hyrule. They very clearly had a discussion, and Midna stated that she was searching for someone, because this comes up in the, the conversation now. Right. Let's pull up the script. Minna says that he's not exactly what I had in mind, but he'll do. Oh, yeah. And Zelda does the whole thing where she shows that she has real uh, sympathy or empathy for her subjects, which is one of the defining characterizations of Zelda in this game, in that she puts her people first concretely in a way that no other version of the character really does or has the opportunity to. And that's her whole character. I guess that's her character in this game. She doesn't have a ton of it. Well, it probably doesn't help that she's only in three scenes where she's of, you know, under her own power. Yeah. Actually, I say that, but Ocarina of Time Zelda was a lot more concretely characterized in a lot of ways, in spite of not being in many more scenes. She had a lot of scenes of Sheik. Granted, but that was all like obfuscating her actual identity, and Sheik doesn't behave like Zelda behaves. It's just Zelda, though. It, yeah, it is just Zelda. It helps characterize her. But you could condense all of Sheik into one scene, and it would characterize Zelda the person exactly as much. Hmm. Well, I mean, so much of Zelda in this has to be read from Midna. Okay, um... Well, I remember you and I having an argument about this fairly recently where you didn't quite come down in the same place as I did in reference to that. Could you elaborate a little bit more on what you mean? Well, I don't even remember that argument. We have so many Zelda arguments. In some ways, Midna is the exact opposite of Zelda while still being, quotation mark, good. A good person. But her ability to rule her... Um, her her skill as a monarch, her um, personality, all of those are basically mirror opposites. Skill so as a monarch. So you can infer her value of her citizens. I don't know that that's necessarily true. Why not? Because it's not so much that she doesn't value her citizens in the same way. It's that her citizens are already lost in a way that the people of Hyrule aren't. And she has to act because she's not left with any other choices. Zelda would probably argue that she's in a situation where she specifically can't act because the game was never going to put Zelda in any other situation. But Minna is in the exact opposite scenario, but that doesn't mean she values her citizens differently. I think that Midna seems to interpret it that way, in that she had choices before what befell her people that she could have decided otherwise, like Zelda. I'm not saying that it's right, I'm just saying that's how she reads it, and that's why she has so much contempt for Zelda. When you say that she had choices before what befell her people, what are you referring to? Uh, when but, things went down with Zant. Right, 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 right. But I mean, like, uh, what line of dialogue are you referencing here whereby Minna implies that she regrets choices she made before Zant came to power? Later on in the game... I don't have the script in front of me that we, I can search. We actually do. Yes, but like, I, I, your keyboard is over there. Anyway, Crystal, talk to us a bit more about this sequence while we do searchy searches. Okay. 
So Minda mockingly calls Zelda the Twilight Princess. And she says that she should explain to Link what's going on because he has no idea what's going on. Even though the Twilight has only recently reached the Ordona province, it's been in uh, main Hyrule for quite some time. How long do you think it's been? Oh, it definitely seems like it's been at least a few weeks. At least a few weeks. While I'm searching, I should probably clarify that last time I think I said that Ordon was under shadow, but it was clearly Faron. I get those two parts of the foresty areas confused a lot. Well, yeah, they're basically the same area. <laughs> basically, yes. Uh, so Zelda explains, listen carefully. This was once the land where the power of the gods was said to slumber. This was once the kingdom of Hyrule, but that blessed kingdom has been transformed by the king that rules the twilight. It has been turned into a world of shadows, ruled by creatures who shun the light. Then it flashes back to Zance, who is the main protagonist of this game, the main antagonist of this game, which I think is an interesting choice to, you know, go from Ganondorf to a couple games to this whole new guy. Yeah. And he's entering the throne room. And some of Zelda's soldiers go to fight him, but they die because Ant is very strong. And then Zelda drops the sword that she is holding to she symbolize her surrender. She does nothing with that sword. It's kind of sad. If I remember the sequence properly, it's Zant doesn't actually do anything here, but the Shadow Beasts show up and they get really... It's actually a really violent scene in the context of showing people getting their heads stomped in for Zelda as a series. Yeah, Zant just marches in, he has two shadow beasts beside him, and they are choking the life out of the Highland soldiers. It's really bad. Like, you get the impression that the, you know, there's sort of a disconnect between what's happening in the story versus what you experience mechanically sometimes. You get the impression that these monsters, in spite of the fact that Link, a kid, can fight them on more or less the same level... These things are horrendously powerful, and the average soldier stands no chance against them. Or also, they're they're very undertrained and incompetent. Yeah, I the Knights of Hyrule have never <laughs> actually been good at fighting. Well, I mean, granted, but you'd think that the ones, you know, guarding Zelda in the royal chamber would be the cream of that crop. No. No? That's never held true at all. The That the royal guards are the best soldiers? No. At least in that, this that game, they're uniformly terrible. Well, I mean, the other side of it is that even if all the other soldiers of Hyrule, yes, we do see that they are very bad at their jobs. But at the same time, we do... This is a situation whereby if the people guarding Zelda are good soldiers, it doesn't matter because they're all dead now. They're spirits. They're not dead. Ah, uh, that guy who just got smashed by the shadow beast charging into the throne room is a corpse. He's not a spirit. He's dead. Not everybody's dead in that scene. No, what I mean is a lot of these good soldiers are fucking dead. Yeah, most of them are probably dead. A lot of these incompetent soldiers. Why do you necessarily assume that they're all incompetent? That kind of takes away from the drama of the scene, doesn't it? They don't do much. I think that they probably do as well as they can against these beasties that run faster than cars and just smash through solid stone and shit. Well, no, if they wanted to portray them as competent, there would be like an actual fight here where they make a decent effort but ultimately lose. I agree this with This is Crystal. meant to be an, they are overwhelming the Knights of Hyrule. All right, I guess that's fair. 
So let's talk about a few of the visual elements in this scene. First of all, Zant's mask. It's got like a big tongue sticking out of it that's like curved and rolling back under his chin. Kind of like a big chameleon. It kind of reminds me of something. What does it remind you of? It kind of reminds me of the blocks that licked the Triforce in the Stone Tower. How does it remind you of that? They have very similar tongues. They, they got the big curvy tongue? Yeah, because uh, it's a tongue that like curves under their body. A tongue that curls and licks their own butt. Yeah, basically. And then the Triforce is down there. Uh-huh. Those you think blocks this means anything? Those blocks are so weird. Um, yeah, I mean this plus the Majora eye on Midna's mask. It's kind of hard to believe it's all a coincidence. Where are you taking this crystal? What do you see as being example of this? Like what well, what is this ind- indicative of? I'm not sure if I have a concrete theory, but it seems to be suggesting some sort of relation between the Twilight and the people who built the stone tower. Huh. I guess I could see that. There are definitely thematic echoes here, especially with regards to those design elements. I don't know if it's really supposed to be a concrete... Li- well, it's supposed to be doesn't mean shit on this podcast. But I don't know if it's a concrete link between them. It is interesting to look at, though, seeing these particular motifs repeated. Another thing, the uh, knights standing right next to Zelda kind of have, like, a tower shield, that big tall one in front of them. Yep. And you get a quick shot of the tower shield from behind, and there's like a face on on the top of it that kind of look like that kind of looks like the face on the Majora mirror shield. That's interesting. So are you? So this is a, a piece of Hylian regalia that's getting toted around, and it just happens to have a very similar bit of Ikana derived iconography. Yes. Again, I have no idea what this could mean, but it's interesting. That is interesting. I'm tempted to dismiss it as saying that, oh, it's just the same visual designer who has a tendency towards the same motifs. But that's a, at the minimum, the face on the inside of the shield is a very fun little Easter egg. And then one last thing. As Zelda drops her sword and surrenders, the camera kind of pans up. And above the throne, there is a statue of the Triforce and the three Triforce goddesses around it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it seems like Din and Nehru are cloaked in shadow, but Ferori is lit. And before the scene ends, the camera zooms in on her face, which kind of looks like Link. Looks like like Link? She has sort of the same side locks that Link does. Oh, interesting. Is that how you're going to read that? That you're seeing echoes of the... Uh, traditional appearance of the hero and the goddess that the hero is supposed to embody. That's what it looks like to me. Interesting. I just thought it was sort of interesting that this is during the period before Hylia was established as a thing in canon or in any of the games. So during that long period between Ocarina of Time and Skyward Sword, the Triforce goddesses were the ones being worshipped, and we see that really explicitly here. But if you view it as occurring within the larger framework of the series, this is doubly interesting because it means that Hylia worship has been completely supplanted by worship of the gods of the Triforce. This is definitely the game where the Triforce goddesses have the the most explicit representation as religious figures. 
I don't think there's any other game where there are statues of them in the castle. Like, there's the statues in Wind Waker, but those are presented in a different context. Those are very different. Um, especially because it's not very clear where the statues in Wind Waker come from. Right. Is holy symbology ever, outside of the Triforce symbol itself, is it ever used in any of the Hyrule castles from throughout the series? No, there, I can't recall any, like, Hylia symbology in Breath of the Wild, which is where it would be if there was any. There's definitely no Triforce goddess symbology besides the Triforce itself. This is doubly interesting because this is the most they've ever shown that Triforce worship, so to speak, is probably a thing. And yet the object itself and even the gods are never actually named. No, they are not. Maybe it's an it's an ineffable name. You're not allowed to speak it. Do you think? Maybe. It may just have been forgotten. Are the different provinces are still named after the gods of the Triforce, right? Yep. Well, they're named after the dragons. Right. Yes. I forgot. Because the provinces in Twilight Princess have the same names as the dragons of Skyward Sword. Which also have the same names as the Light Spirits. Right. Because the dragons and the Light Spirits may well be the same characters. And it may well be that the three goddesses were derived from them rather than the other way around. Ah. I've always kind of liked that idea, especially with regards to a great spirit like the Great Deku Tree being fallible in terms of its conflating myth with fact. Yes. Because being very old doesn't mean that it's all-knowing, even though it's framed that way in Ocarina of Time. And this does make the Link to the Past manual a little more interesting because that also does not give names to the goddesses. They're just called the god of wisdom, the god of power, the god of courage. Right. The two of you should continue without me for just a minute. I'm going to go get a glass of water. Okay. So we see Twilight's enshrouding Castletown and all the people of Castletown turn into ghosts. Yes. Twilight covered Hyrule like a shroud, and without light, the people became as spirits. It's a pretty neat cutscene. Um, the the characters in the town all yeah. look pretty unique. Yeah. Again, this game does not actually have a realistic style, as people like to say. All of these character designs are very stylized. They all have like unique body and head shapes. And I don't even know if they come up elsewhere in the town later on. It's kind of hard to tell because when you when they everything turns back and Link starts wandering around and people are just people again, it's all zoomed out so you can't really examine their designs, let's say. Yeah. The castle town in this game is, I guess, as crowded as it's ever been. You don't really have, like, close-up, one-on-one interaction very often. Yeah. Which is a shame. It's a... It's a fun town with a lot going on. Yeah, I like the portrayal of it. So Zelda says that uh, within the twilight, the people live on, unaware that they have passed into spirit forms. All the people know now is fear. Fear of a nameless evil. The kingdom succumbed to twilight, but I remain its princess. I am Zelda. So this suggests that maybe Zelda was called the queen, but for at this juncture... She takes the title of princess because although she has some symbolic significance, she is not the ruler of the country. She's Zant been is. demoted. <laughs> yeah. Like, Xant still keeps her around, but she is not the queen. So she's a princess. 
But this is a situation where there's clearly no king or other ruler aside from Zelda. No, she Zelda was the one is the standing sole in front of member the of the royal family. That's the end of the cutscene, isn't it? Yeah. So Minna says, hey, the Twilight's not so bad. I live in the Twilight all the time. And Princess Zelda says, shut up, Midna. You suck and I hate you. Don't make jokes. This is serious. The Shadow Beasts are searching for you and they're going to kill you and eat you. So you have to get out of here very quickly. She makes mention of a guard making their rounds, but you can never actually run into this mysterious person. I wanted to know if it was actually a person or probably, I guess, a Twilight, a Twily beast. It would probably be a Shadow Beast, yeah. Yeah. And they run off, and let's see. Uh, Minna transports Link back to Ordon Springs. But not after, or not before threatening him. Yes. By saying that he forgot about all those kids who were abducted in Ilya. Yeah. Minna says that Link has to be her servant, and like a servant, you have to do exactly what I say. So Ordon is not baked in Twilight as Hyrule is, but Link is still a wolf. There's really no explanation for that. Uh, so how, when does he stop becoming a wolf? When he gets the tunic? No, when he gets the... Cam, do you remember? Yes. Um, in this particular case, the thing that transforms Link back from being a wolf is when the influence of the Twilight is driven from his body by the Light Spirit. Okay, so he's got Twilight in his blood, so that keeps him a wolf. I guess. He, he breathed it in. Yeah, or something. So he gets transported back. But he's still a dog. Yeah. And Midna's still with him, but she's not, like, riding his back. She can just jump out of his body occasionally in her spirit form. And she tells him to get a, a sword and a shield, which, incidentally, there is a pair. It's what um, the gift that Russell made for the royal family. Yes. And at this point, uh, Link can talk to animals, he can talk to cuckoos and squirrels and dogs. And frogs. And frogs. I like this sequence. Uh, I, a lot of people do not like this sequence. I think it's, it's fun. There's this little town hidden in the town, and there's that one cuckoo who's the boss of everybody. Yes. And then the frog that says that he wasn't expecting company, so he has nothing useful to say. Yeah, so Link is just, like, sneaking around Ordon Village, and, you know, he's a wolf, so people are not going to be friendly to him, so he's just, like, hiding in the grass, observing people talking, and he'll talk to animals, too, sometimes, because all animals can understand each other. Naturally. He breaks into people, he breaks into uh, into Russell's house to take the sword and shield, right? Um, The sword is there, or is it the shield? Uh, no, the I sword is at Russell's house, there. and the shield is at the mayor's? Yes. I I'm, I'm, I could be confusing this. Yeah, you get the shield first, then you get the sword from Russell's house. And he just is Wolf Link with the shield and sword on his back. What I like about this sequence is that Midna wears the shield on her face, and so you get the impression that that's just how shields work in the Twilight Realm, much like the large medallion things over the Shadow Beasts. That, yeah, that would make sense, <laughs> I guess. And she swings a sword and nearly takes off his head. Yeah. I think so, it's actually mentioned in the non-canon art book that that was the actual intent behind that scene and the design of the Shadow Beast, that their faces are shielded for whatever reason. This wooden shield is 
pretty special. It has a unique design. And so I always was very careful not to burn it because if you do, you can buy more wooden shields, but they have a totally different pattern on them. I don't know if anybody actually paid attention to that. I didn't notice that. I don't think my shield ever got burnt. It's theoretically possible, but there's less um, less threats to it than in Ocarina of Time, I feel. So Link is going to go off to Faron Woods to save the children with the sword and shield. But as he passes the spring, a mysterious voice calls out to him. And he what's this appro- voice? What? What's the voice? Well, it is the light spirit Ordona. Ordona says, O brave youth, I am one of the four light spirits that protect Hyrule at the behest of the gods. I am Ordona. The black beast you slayed was a shadow being. It had come to seize the power of the light I wield. My brethren in Hyrule have already had their light stolen by these fell beasts. The entire kingdom has been reduced to another world, ruled by the cursed powers of darkness. The blight will not stop with Hyrule. Before long, the entire world of light will fall into the hands of the king who rules the twilight. So again here, they are establishing that Hyrule is just a very small part of the larger world of light. Mm -hmm. To save this land from the king of twilight, the lost light must be recovered. The three light spirits who have lost their light must be revived. There is but one who can revive them and redeem this land. You. You still have not discovered your true power. Those transformed by the twilight usually cannot recover their original forms. Unless, if you were to return Faron Woods where you first transformed, if you were to revive the light spirit, there, by the power of the light spirit, you may find the means to regain your other state of being. This was a pretty important speech that totally sidetracked Cam and myself when we first played the game. Oh yeah? What did you think of it? Well, back in those days, um, we made huge theories as we were first playing a game. And I think we've since learned to sort of temper it and just play it as it goes. But something of the line where Ordona points out the three light spirits... Four. Ordona says four. We, I am one of the four. Yes. It's later when they say we three. Okay. Yeah. So Ordona's like, I, I, I'm a light spirit too, guys. Although they identify the light spirits of Hyrule separately. But what you're saying, Kem, is it's a later speech. Yeah. Okay. It's because our idea at the time was that Ordona is a false idol. Yes. And it only came up because of that later speech where some, okay. another light spirit Let's told a different... Let's talk about it more when it, we get to that then. Sure. What was your theory about just that Ordona was a false idol? Yeah, basically. Not one of the actual light spirits. Uh, the way he talks about the world of light suggests to me that there are probably many, many light spirits all around the world of light. And there are just three specific to Hyrule and Ordona's kind of loosely associated with them because he's so close to the border. This sort of came up in the last episode when we discussed how some people see it as a province, Ordona as a province, sorry, Ordon as a province of Hyrule, but other ones, including yeah, Russell and I guess including the spirit, just don't. Yeah, it's still, the annexation happened relatively recently, it seems. So people aren't quite used to the idea of being part of Hyrule. Ordon Village isn't very old yet. Yeah. I have another theory about Ordona. What's that? It's the Deku Tree. He got promoted. Oh, yeah. This came up in an older episode, didn't it? 
Yeah, because the Decker Tree's not around in this game. Where'd he go? That's a good question, because there's a lot going on here that sort of suggests that uh, Faron is at least near to where the Kokiri Forest was. But Ardona, all the light spirits kind of look like the a key animal in the area. Mm-hmm. Ardona looks like a giant squirrel. He's got, like, a big crown on him. I thought it looked like one of the Ordon goats. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the goats, and then the other one looks like the squirrel. And then one like a snake? There's a bird one, there's a snake one. Yeah, one's like a squirrel that's all curled up, and its tail is, is completely surrounding its body. And then Ordona's uh, goat cow. Yes. So yeah, Minda wears a shield on her face. She swings a sword in front of the twilight barrier, and Link enters it. And he's going to go into the Faron woods and save the children. By first saving the light spirit. Yes. He does have to fight some shadow beasts first, though. Using a special ability that Min has to make a circle and then make Link rip the throats out of everybody in the circle. It's very, very efficient at shadow beast murder. Uh Uh-huh. You gotta wonder sort of how Midna feels about all this, knowing where the shadow beasts come from. But then, if they're running around in the light world, there's a very good chance that these shadow beasts are not her people. And that no. they're already dead, or? No, and that it's implied later on that Hylians, or humans, also become shadow beasts. Mm. Yes. And if they were her people, they'd be traitors anyway. So this is the second game where it's distinctly possible that Link actually kills humans. I, yeah, I guess so. I guess he might be killing transformed humans. Yeah, it's been about, what? 15 years since Link to the Past, so they finally got back around to it. It's kind of like Final Fantasy 15. Uh, What about Final Fantasy 15? Well, all the demons in Final Fantasy 15 are actually humans who have been transformed by the Star Scourge. You know, you end up killing a lot of other humans in pretty much every Final Fantasy game. Why is this treated as like this big terrifying thing? Well, you don't kill human humans very often at all in Final Fantasy 15, because the imperial army is mostly made up of robots weren't the robots also humans yeah they are powered by the souls of humans right so you're fighting nothing but humans well yes but this is not immediately obvious it's humans all the way down okay so it's like you feel okay about these fights because they're not humans and then it turns out one type of enemy is a human but the other type is still inhuman except the other type also humans well not to mention that it turns out that prompto your, your photography buddy was actually raised in the clone labs meant to harvest human souls to power these robots. So he has kind of like a connection to them. So he's like a proto-robot human. Yes. So about the Faron Woods. Yeah? So what is Link doing here? He's gonna uh, awaken Faron, the light spirit. Right, but how does he go about awakening Faron? Uh, how does he go about awakening Faron? It's your favorite mini game. Come on. Oh yes, the bug hunt. I love the bug hunt. Yes. Really? Yes. Why do you like it's it? It's like it's just a good way to like intimately explore the environment in a way that this game doesn't usually make you do because the overworld is barren. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I think... you got you travel all around the Faron woods and you have to get bugs. I think they actually reduced the number of bugs in the HD version. Ah, they might have. I don't know why, because it doesn't really take that long. Or at least, you know, uh, one or two more wouldn't have done made any difference. 
I, a lot of people hated this part. Maybe they took out the ones that people complained about most often. Maybe. Uh, Farrah has some interesting dialogue. Once you get all the light, there's a vessel that is basically a, a stack of green beans that you put the light drops back into. And then you take the vessel of light back to Farron, and Farron is restored by the scattered light. The green beans. Yes. The green beans. My name is Farron. I am one of the spirits of light who dwell in Hyrule. So, again, the spirits of light are not exclusive to Hyrule. He's just one of them who's part of Hyrule. I use the life force of the gods to protect this forest. That's an interesting line. Yes. Oh, brave youth, in the land covered in twilight where people roam as spirits, you were transformed into a blue-eyed beast. That was a sign. It was a sign that the powers of the chosen one rest within you and that they are awakening. You're a special boy. Yes. Look at your awakened form because Link has turned back into a human now. The green tunic that is your garb once belonged to the ancient hero chosen by the gods. His power is yours. His is the true power that slept within you. Your name is your name, but it's Link. You are the hero chosen by the gods, brave Link. A dark power rests in a temple deep within these woods. It is a forbidden power. Long, long ago, I and the other spirits of light locked it away. Because of its nature, it is a power that should never be touched by any who dwell in the light. But this world weeps beneath a mantle of shadows, and so there is no choice. You must match the power of the King of Shadows. If you would seek this forbidden power, then proceed to the temple in the forest depths. There's a lot going on here. Yeah? Um, it, hmm. <laughs> Well, firstly, can we just say that this forbidden power, much like the other forbidden magically enhanced items you get later on, everybody warns you that they're corrupting, but none of that pays off. Or none of that actually happens. Link is too pure, I guess. Or maybe they were wrong. Maybe. Maybe they just had a bias against the Twilight. I like the idea that the Light Spirit uses the life force of the gods to protect the forest. Because in this game, it sort of frames the light spirit as being a proxy for the gods of the Triforce. But once you play Skyward Sword, it's kind of recontextualized into being how the light spirits possess the life force of Hylia. What exactly does... Hmm, okay, what's life force of the gods mean exactly? Is it just the light force that is the essence of Hylia? It don't mean squat. Don't I think mean it's squat. supposed to be okay. like... Um, it, it, in this game, it sort of creates this correlation between the power of the gods and the existence of the light arrows, because the light arrows are sort of the combined power of the world of light, which is the provenance of the gods of the Triforce, I guess. I guess. It's doofy. The green tunic that he wears once belonged to the ancient hero chosen by the gods. Now, this is meant to refer to Ocarina Link who yeah. was also a special boy to a, a lesser extent, I would say. But you could also read it as referring to the Link of Skyward Sword, in which case the gods are indeed being conflated with Hylia. That would make a pretty good amount of sense, because Link in Skyward Sword was also chosen, but in a very different way. Um, one thing that strikes me about this, and I know that geography discussions are a realm best left untouched when we can help it but isn't Faron further out from central hyrule than ordon is i don't think so it's midway there 
it's midway to Hyrule, mm. or it's in Hyrule. Oh, Ordon okay. is I'm further south. I'm gonna bring south. up a map. Let's see. I don't remember. Is, that's why I ask. This isn't written in English. Okay. But it's like a long, stringy corridor, so it's not that interesting. So you have to go through Faron to get to Hyrule. Yeah, or to get to Hyrule Field. Yeah, no. Yeah, you go through through Faron to get to Hyrule Field. So Ordon is further out than Faron. Okay. I would. I don't know why I thought different. But like, yeah, the border between Faron and Ordon is not actually very clear because they both look very similar. They're foresty areas. Yeah. Can we talk about how this Link is just born with the sleeping power of a previous Link? Yeah, what about it? That doesn't seem to hold very well with the previous modes of the series so far. No, it doesn't. It's pretty unique to this game. Why they do it? They wanted a sequel to Ocarina. Saying, like, hey, this is the true sequel to Ocarina, not that cartoony Wind Waker. It's kind of funny because it's the exact opposite of Wind Waker, where there's very direct statements saying, no, this person's not the hero of time or connected to the hero of time in any way. And then I guess they're like, oh, shoot, people are up in arms about Zelda. We better make everything the exact opposite. We could... I have ideas about what exactly happened with the Triforce, maybe it bonded to Link's bloodline, blah, blah, blah. But they just need Link to be a special boy. Very special boy. Worth noting here, Faron is a monkey. Yeah. I mean, he's like a, like a lemur. It got, it, it's like a monkey with a big squirrel tail. That's a lemur. Monkey squirrel? Yeah, I guess lemurs are monkey squirrels. They're basically monkey kind squirrels. It's kind of a, uh, what does that face remind me of? It looks like uh, one of the one of the Ultramans. We're not really familiar with Ultraman, unfortunately. Maybe not Ultraman. Well, it specifically it reminds me of a of an Overwatch skin for the character Zarya that is based on a Toku character. Unfortunately, we're not really familiar with Toku characters at all. Or Overwatch. Well, okay, I'm just gonna declare that Faron is based on Ultraman. Okay, you know what? That's fair, and we definitely can't argue against it. So, so you're, you're going to the forest temple. Yes. And Link, the specialist boy, has now been recognized by the gods, and that's why his clothes are different? Right, he wears the clothes of the hero of the gods. Which is the same outfit that Link wore in Ocarina of Time. I Well, it isn't, though, because it actually does have more similarities with the Skyward Sword outfit, particularly the chainmail. The chainmail. Yeah, the Twilight and Skyward Sword Link actually have fairly similar designs, which makes me think that they are more connected. Maybe. Or really more specifically, it's not the Skyward Link, it's Hylia's chosen knight that Skyward Link is a reincarnation of. Hmm. Well, we should probably save that for the Skyward Sword episode, but I didn't think he was necessarily reincar. You know, maybe later. So, the Faron Faron Woods Forest Temple. Uh, You know what this looks like? What does it, it looks look like? It like the Forbidden Woods from Wind Waker. Huh. Yeah, they're both inside giant trees, and they both have what appear to be Kokiri settlements inside them. The doors have the Kokiri sign on them, don't they? Yeah, and there's like, I mean, it looks like little tree houses, maybe, inside the temple. Hey, what if the monkeys are the Kokiri? What if the monkeys are the Kokiri? Would that make Boss Monkey the Deku Tree or Mido? Definitely Mido. Definitely Mido. What, what happened to the Deku Tree? This is the child timeline, so the Deku Tree is just dead. No, that's terrible. 
Where's the Deku tree? Um, it's Faron. <laughs> well, why would it be Faron? No, it, I, I don't know. This game is much too serious to have a giant talking tree in it. So if this is, if we're going to say this is the same tree as the Forbidden Woods from Wind Waker, mm. in, 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 the, in the time of Ocarina, it was just deeper into the forest and you couldn't get to that area. Then Ordon would be where the Kokiri Woods were and where the Forest Haven is? Well, actually, well, so the Forbidden Woods in Wind Waker, it looked like a, a giant tree and much like, I guess, the, the Deku tree was the sprout no not the sp- the deku tree was inside of a bigger tree for the the forest haven right maybe they're all deku trees maybe the deku tree is just elsewhere okay he's just hidden yes one he's one square to away himself to this hero one wind waker square away is the deku tree yes okay so what does that mean that the forest temple in this game is inside the body of the original deku tree from ocarina of time no it's too big i mean the scale changing doesn't present too big a problem. So you're saying the Kokiri settled inside the Deku tree? Uh, at some point, why not? And then they became monkeys. They do settle into the Deku tree in Breath of the Wild already. Oh, that is a good point. At least a Deku tree this was. Maybe. But it's definitely not the same forest temple from Ocarina. No. You don't get the impression that it was a really lived-in area, this dungeon. I mean, there's this dungeon is notable to me because there's this interior space, and then you go outside for a bit. There's like a big rotate, a bunch of rotating platforms outside, right. and then you go into the deeper part of the dungeon, which also has like a weird gathering spot for the monkeys. Do you have any th- thoughts about the shape of this dungeon, Cam? As to the shape of it, or not the design really. Of it. Um. It definitely seems like the whole thing is meant to be moved around by apes because the monkeys can get in and out and around a lot easier. The thing is that I have a little bit more trouble placing it contextually within the world as like a trial because things are the way they are in there only because monsters moved in, right? Right. And otherwise it would just be a bunch of monkeys hopping around. But how is that a good place to hide a piece of very bad magic from the perspective of the light spirits what's the protective force that exists in here the monkeys you better hope that one of the monkeys doesn't like get injured or die because then you're not getting across that large chasm or maybe the deku tree would step in if someone really threatened it maybe it's guarded by the fairy of winds that lives inside of the boomerang okay the boomerang would become sentient if it needed to this is the strangest thing about one of the strangest things about Twilight Princess to me that they devote like five lines to the explanation that your boomerang is a magical boomerang and a sentient boomerang with a spirit in it. And it, there's no follow up on this. I guess the whole idea behind the security of the Forest Temple is that you can't move through it unless you either are a monkey or are good friends with the monkeys to the point that they would move you through it. That's good. It, you- Except there are monsters everywhere. Until you get, or, you know, whoever comes in has a hook shot or a grappling hook and can just swing around by themselves. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's a very, it's a very um, big first dungeon, though. I think we talked about that in the previous episode. Yeah, this dungeon is meaty in a way that the Deku Tree or the, uh, the, the first dungeon of Wind Waker are not. 
I'd say that it's probably even uh, meatier than the first dungeon of Skyward Sword. Yes. But it's probably because you have to wait so long to get to this part. Yeah, it, it's just, it's got a much larger space that it works within. And it's not as condensed and focused on teaching you core concepts on motion and environmental interaction. Because by the time you get here, you've already been doing that for hours and hours and hours. Whereas in Ocarina of Time, the Deku Tree was the first time you would be using a lot of these mechanics. Right. Do you guys like the boss monkey? I like Ook. Is that its name? Yeah, his name is Ook. The boss monkey has a big bug on its head and you have to beat it in the ass with your sword. It uh-huh. also occasionally will taunt you by fanning its butt. He's got a big baboon red butt. Are they supposed to be baboons? I guess this one is. Ordon monkeys are very strange. Oh, so, this is the this is the dungeon where we meet uh, Uka, right? Yes. Yes. Let's talk about Uka for a little bit. Yeah, tell me about Uka. Let me bring up her dialogue. We also need to round back because we totally missed the first encounter with the hero's shade. Oh, we did. He's standing at the front of the forest temple. But we'll come back to that. Mm, yeah, there's not actually much interesting dialogue out of Uku when you first meet her. She just introduces herself. She's one of the Uka. She's a fellow adventurer like you, and you have to help her find her son, Uku Jr. And then they just kind of fly off. But they will become more important a little bit later. I do have to wonder, you know, did they design Uka and Uku Jr. because they wanted something to warp and they're like, hey, it'd be funny if they were... Kukos, or did they decide they needed something in the sky and then an introduction to the character earlier and then gave the function to them after that? Uku was originally designed with a more human-like form. Really? I'm not sure why they changed her to be a strange little bird. I don't know if I've seen the design art on that. Uh, there's a. Let me bring it up. Here it is. She looks almost Sheikah like. Oh my goodness. Yeah, she's got, like, a big headdress of feathers and a hairy body, but, like, very little, like, tiny little monkey feet. It is a mixture of a monkey and a a bird, I guess. Or, like, a monkey killed a bird and put its head on its... Right, the bird even, the bird that she's wearing even has a beak. I could believe, well, no, it's still really weird if people stayed in Skyloft and turned into this. Would it? Yes. No, maybe. Maybe it's cold up there and then they grew a lot of hair. It still makes no uh, sense. Uku's name is also a hexadecimal red, green, blue code for a shade of green that is similar to the shade of Link's tunic. Like the darker tunic in this one or the more brighter one? The, the lighter tunic huh. from earlier games. So before we progress too far into the dungeon, maybe we should touch on the first yeah. encounter with the golden wolf. Let's talk about the golden wolf. Firstly... Does anyone actually call it the hero's shade in the game? Um, I'm not sure. Is it ever used to describe one of the dialogue boxes? Or Twilight Princess doesn't do that, does it? No. No. And there's no Nintendo gallery in this one. I think it's just a name that was used in follow-up um, art books and so on. I believe it Historia. originated in the, in the player's guide. Hmm. Interesting that it stuck around so much. Well, he's referred to a couple different ways. The ancient hero, the hero shade, and the hero spirit, depending on what source you were reading. Or the golden wolf, or the white wolf. I don't know how you get how one can get white wolf out of that explosively golden wolf. He's like a whitish gold. A very bright gold. Yeah, because he's glowing, gold. so he looks kind of white. 
Let's see. A sword wields no strength unless the hand that holds it has courage. You may be destined to become the hero of legend, but your current power would disgrace the proud green of the hero's tunic you wear. You must use your courage to seek power and find it you must. Only then will you become the hero for whom this world despairs. If you do find true courage and you wish to save Hyrule from the horrors it now faces, then you will be worthy to receive the secrets I hold. I forgot how harsh Link is to Link. Well, Link didn't earn his place in this one. So right. It must be a little upsetting. He's got to have a little bit of uh, tutelage beaten into him, I guess. And you get the ending blow, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the one where you get that finish button and then you, you basically jump, jump stab something. Yeah. And then Link does his cool flourish when he puts the sword back oh, in yeah. the scabbard. And you can actually use this with all of the bosses. I think this is the only one of the hero's techniques that is actually uh, necessary to progress. Hmm. Because you can't beat Ganon without it. Right. What if you skip this? Is it skippable? I don't think it is. No, no yeah, I think I think this is mandatory, yeah. The only one that is. Oh, and I guess because he goes straight into the lesson instead of saying, find me somewhere. Right. Yeah, he okay. teaches you Z-targeting Z here. He says the word Z-targeting, which is a trope that I always like in video games. Let's see. What is the matter? Did not the finish A image appear before your eyes? <laughs> Coward. The moment the enemy is felled, you must like on and strike with A. Wow. That's pretty harsh. I like Link. I like this Link. Calling somebody a coward? I like how much this Link hates Link. You, you, you don't deserve to be a Link. I had to work to be a Link. Well, nobody really knows that it's a, a link here, necessarily. I mean, there isn't really anyone else he could possibly be, but he's wearing, like, totally unfamiliar armor. Right. And he's really tall. Yeah, he finally had that last growth spurt. And he's lost an eye. I mean, as, in terms of glowy points, but he only has one glowy eye. It's almost as if he died in some sort of pitched battle. Yes. Yeah, almost as if that happens. I'm sure it's not related to anything in particular. He appears to be wearing... He's, this armor does not look Hylian. Perhaps it is the armor of a foreign land. What does it look like to you? Uh, the design tropes don't call to mind any existing people. Oh, and something the Wii... It's not apparent to Wii game players, but to GameCube players, they would spot that he is the only other person who's left-handed. Yep, left-handed, just like Link. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Looking at it, his his chest plate does appear to have the face of a bird on it. I don't know what that means. Birds are pretty common, highly in imagery, I guess. I guess. His loincloth and chest and shield markings are vaguely Gerudo, but not really. Is that a bird? It kind of looks like a little cute squirrel thing. I was thinking. Yeah, that could be either a beak or a snout, I guess. Or an owl. I guess. For now. It just doesn't look like something Link would wear before Breath of the Wild came out and we established, yes, Link would wear this. It's interesting because it doesn't, strictly speaking, look like any particular mode of armor design that we've seen up to this point. Right. It definitely doesn't look Hyrulean, and it's not until much later that we're given a concrete indication of where the hero's shade is from. So for right now, it remains a sort of mystery that's not resolved until pretty much the complete ass end of the game. Yep. Okay. If the hero shade is not 
a a foreign warrior it he definitely gives the impression that he has traveled around the world yeah but he seems to be intimately familiar with the hero the right. ancient hero to which twilight princess link is um an inheritor of an heir of back to the dungeon you chase a bunch of monkeys around and then you fight a monkey and from that monkey you get a magic sapient boomerang yes that you use to go further into it and then you fight a plant and then the mean monkey shows up and helps you fight the plant that was nice so the the boss is the twilight parasite Dai baba literally just a big deku baba that is spewing the poison around or it's across a chasm of poison is it the source of the poison here because the entirety of Farron Woods is basically coated in bad poison. I think it is. Because once you beat it, you can you can jump into the water, right? Am I remembering? Correctly? Oh, right. The approach to this area involved the girl monkey with the bow uh, helping you get past things by carrying a lamp. And twirling it. Yeah. This is a really long intro. Yep. And hopefully you use your finisher... That you just learned from the Hero's Shade on Dai Baba. And Link does a cool finishing move on the... Eyeball The thing. eyeball tongue thing. And you get your first fused shadow. Yep. The first of three of four. First of three of four? Yeah. Because Midna starts with one. Oh, that's right. It's on her face. I, You know, I'm more... I'm increasingly becoming friendly to the idea... That the monkeys are the Kokiri. <laughs> Why is that? Because the monkeys were also in the swamp of Majora's Mask, so maybe they were the Kokiri of Termina. Right, right. That's one of the ideas we floated, wasn't it? Yes. I thought I just pulled that out of my butt. I didn't yeah, realize like you had talked about this already. Yeah, like the Deku and the Kokiri have reversed roles in Termina. Oh, boy. I guess they've always struggled with the design of the Kokiri in that they just look like kids, which isn't that interesting a design. So then at one point it's like monkeys and then... It seems like they've fairly settled into the whole Korok thing now, which is right, the best. Right, the design. also just look like Link, so it'd be weird in a game where they are not, where Link does not grow up with them. Though if Link grew up with a bunch of monkeys, it'd be really funny. What if Link was Sun Wukong? The Monkey King? Yeah. What if Link was Sun Goku? <laughs> then he'd need a cool um, Iron Band thing and journey to the West. Oh, a Zelda game with a Nimbus Cloud and a Power Pole? That'd be pretty good. Let's see. So Link gets the Fuse Shadow. Yes. And And Midna's real cagey about what it is. She says she'll explain to you if you manage to catch the other two. Let's see. Yeah, she's sort of uh, sinister about the whole thing. Remember what the spirit said about how you had to match the power of the King of Shadows? Could it really be so easy? Is this all there is to it? (laughs) <laughs> the cabinet doesn't really lead anywhere no they really heavily apply, imply that it will but it's, it's almost like even, they had a different plot in mind at first yeah i don't even mind it that much because it's it's a Chekhov's gun that doesn't go off and that's interesting that's its own subversion yeah there's a number of Chekhov's guns that don't go off like the boomerang yep yep it's uh and the whole difference between the number of light spirits. God, that was the big one. Do you want to elaborate that one now? No, no, no. We'll get to it once we get to the fucked up scene. Okay. Um, it's just that there's just a bunch of light spirits in the light world. But Hyrule's only a small part of the light world. 
Well, that makes sense, but it wasn't clear in the text at the time. Okay. But it, it, it's interesting because there's two distinct versions of the character of Midna. Midna as she exists before she gets her shit wrecked, and Midna as she is afterward. Yes. Because Midna up to now is, again, an imp in the sense that she comes across kind of like a little devil. She's really unkind to Link. And she seems like she has plans that may be potentially very bad for everyone involved except for herself. Yes. It's just weird the how hard the game makes the turn. And I guess we'll come back to that once Midna gets all of her shit exploded. But, you know, it, 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 it does definitely happen. It, uh, yeah, I, I think the turning point is when, you know, Zelda effectively disappears from the game. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, we'll get back to that. So Link goes to Hyrule Field now. And he is uh, he's going to chase after the main antagonist of the game. King Bulblin. Yep. This is the second person you've called the main antagonist on this episode. Right. It's interesting that they would, you know, choose to have two brand new original main antagonists instead of Ganondorf. Yeah. It's a very brave direction they took it. Uh Uh-huh. Especially because, relatively speaking, we don't spend a lot of time with Zant compared to King Bulblin. Yeah, I guess King Bulblin does get more screen time. He also gets slapped around a lot more, though. He's definitely the second-in-command to Zant's big badness. So what happens in this particular sequence once Link manages to get into Hyrule Field? So Faron says, go to Elden and wake up Elden. And Midna, Midna continues calling Link her servant. You have to do exactly what I say. When you turn into a beast again, I'll take good care of you, so don't worry. Anyway, we need to go to land covered in twilight to get the next piece of the few shadow which is probably also an elden nice that everything lines up just like that uh-huh. but link basically he gets the scent of the kids right so you you have yeah. another running in the darkness sniffing quest and then you go and you realize there's a a bridge missing wait why does link turn into a wolf again to track the scent no 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 Because he can't turn into a wolf on command at this point in the game. Is it just that Hyrule Field is covered in twilight? Mm. He's not able to turn into a wolf on command until he gets the Master Sword. He is pulled into the twilight. Oh, that's right. He tries to go to Elden and Midna pulls him into the twilight because Elden, of course, is covered in twilight. Yes. And then he follows the scent of the kids. And And there's a missing bridge. Right. The missing bridge. And you have to go get the bridge. Right? Yes. This took very long for me the first time through. I could not find the frigging thing. I knew where the bridge was. Did you? I did. I found it. I was like, oh, right, the bridge. I remember. And off I went and I got the bridge. Where was the bridge? In the forest. Yeah. And leaning, like, um, vertically up. You ended up covering literally every square foot that could be covered in the game up to that point. You went back to Hyrule Castle. Yeah. Or can you go back to Hyrule Castle? Um, or no, I don't know. You went everywhere you could. Yes. I, I, I only recognize objects by certain features. So if you put like something on its side, I oftentimes will not recognize it. And I did not find the prompt where Midna says, hey, look, that's strange. A bridge is here. So, um, yeah, this took me like half an hour or longer. That was not fun. I'm trying to remember the exact sequence of events here. At some point, you go to Kakariko, right? I think that's actually the place where you track the kids to. Yeah. 
Yes. At some point, you, the mayor, you go back to Ordon and sumo wrestle the mayor in preparation for sumo wrestling the Gorons, and you get the iron boots. Yeah, I think the after you get to Kakariko, the chief informs you that the only people oh, who've yes, been yes, able yes. to befriend the Gorons are um, is the mayor of your home village. So you better go and learn. We're we're skipping around yeah. a little bit though. Yeah, because yeah, Kakariko is on the way to Death Mountain, just as is Nakarina. Yep. Okay. So well, we get to Kakariko Village as a wolf, and the whole place is covered in monsters, and it seems like the ca- town is absolutely fucking empty. Until yes. you go inside of the... Everyone's hiding in the windmill, right? No, they're hiding uh-huh. in the chief's place, aren't they? Yeah, it is the chief's house. Yes. What's his name? Ronaldo. Ronaldo. Yes. They're scared. They are scared. And this is an interesting bit of conversation that takes place here, because the only survivors... Or the only people in Kakariko Village who are currently present are Ronaldo, Ronaldo's daughter, the kids from Ordon, and I think he's a bomb maker. Yes, and you totally explode his um, his bomb reserve right. shack. Yeah, that that happens uh, while you're searching for the light orbs. But this conversation right here is interesting because it sort of establishes the particular weight of the events that have taken place in Hyrule up to now. Because they talk about how they might want to make a run for it, and the bomb maker guy, I cannot remember his name to save my life. Um, he mentions that previously there was a person who went out and tried to fight one of the shadow beasts, and you all remember what happened after that. After that, there were two shadow beasts yeah oh no which means that probably some of the shadow beasts who you've been tearing to pieces were human at some point and also uh, this isn't the kind of story where things get linked to the pasted back to where they're supposed to be in the end these people are dead yeah yeah first transformed then then murdered this is a dark game and they've been like transformed into these mindless killing automatons it is definitely the origin of the shadow monsters because i think you go into a few houses and you find them there and it's like well what else where else did they come from and the question becomes what is the difference between the people who are left as spirits versus the people who become shadow monsters and it seems to be that the shadow monsters can grab hold of the spirits of humans and turn them into beasts it's dark it's kind of weirdly incongruous with the tone of other zelda games both up to and after this point. Not in that it's dark, because Ocarina of Time has a lot of fucked up shit in it, but in that it's this particular kind of fantasy darkness. It's a, it's a zombie story. It's basically a zombie story. Yeah. So it's a zombie western. It's a zombie cowboy thing. With inherited destinies. Yeah. So after that, you go to the Light Spring, which is right off to the side of Kakariko Village. And you are told by Eldon that you need to go around and get all the things. And you run around and you get all the things. And in doing this, you blow up the bomb shop. Sorry. Not really. It was very funny at the time. And well, Yuma has a beef against bomb shop owners. Yeah. They're very cowardly and greedy. and um, or, or total mama boys. <laughs> Anima's just not big on arms manufacturers in general, <laughs> I it guess seems. So. No, he wouldn't like Tony Stark. No, he would be against Tony Stark specifically. I like I like the bomb maker's character design because he has very muscular arms and just a big old pot belly. 
Yeah, you can tell that he works out in a very specific way, but outside of that, he's pretty uh, indolent. Yes. Oh, it's the lady from the general store who died. Oh, is it? Yes, that's who Barnes mentions. That's why Mallow takes over. Yeah. Mallow, the best character in this game. Mallow the baby. The, hero. the capitalist baby. Well, we can't forget the capitalist baby. It's interesting, though, because in Farron Woods, getting the light spirit free was basically the last thing that you had to do before you just ran over and went into the forest temple. But here in this second one, it's only like a third of the way over to the next dungeon. Yeah, you, yeah, you basically have to, have to clear out this area. The there is so much side questing between each of the major... Dun- well, not side questing. This is all mainline. But there's so much questing that you do between each of the dungeons. And, you know, that's a thing really in only all... only for this first half, though. It does fall off a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. By the, by the last... Like, the last three dungeons are all basically one after another. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, but we get to this point here where Link frees the light spirit, and you're like, okay, now I guess I'm going to go figure out what the dungeon is. But then the game throws you a curveball, and that that's not what happens. Now, is this the spot where the Bulblins show up again? Yes, the Bulblins show up in a very dramatic scene. Well, first, you try to go to meet the Gorons, and the Goron pushes you off the cliff, because, like, you're, you're too weak. And you go talk to Renato, and he says... They're not going to respect you unless you know how to sumo wrestle. Well, if you want to talk about it, just go ahead. Midna here. Sorry, this is... Back during the sequence where Wolf Link is looking at the spirits of the kids. This is okay. when one of the lines where she says... Um, where did it go? Actually, there's two lines here that are sort of worth calling out. Okay. Um, let's see. Again, this is during the sequence where Wolf Link finds the kids. And of course they can't see him because they're spirits and Wolf Link exists concretely. Uh, This is kind of interesting because it also tries to reestablish the characters of the kids themselves. And Colin's nice and kind of milquetoast and the other kids are complete assholes. Beth is understandably freaked absolutely out by all the things that are happening, which you should be. Everyone's going to die. And Colin tries to comfort her. And if I remember, Beth basically like just shoves him onto the dirt that sounds about right it's very funny minna does two things here she laughs at how you know oh the kids are expecting you to come but you know nobody knows what you've done you may be doomed to toil in obscurity forever um which i think was one of the main criticisms of ocarina that they're going to now react to right because in ocarina you actually did toil in obscurity um and then she says you're the type to worry about everything i can tell but don't fret over Princess Zelda. She chose this state of affairs after all, which... Wow. I, I don't think anybody was actively t- thinking about Zelda right now, but is one of the moments where it implies, you know, she's thinking about this choice that was made earlier. The choice to surrender. Yes. Minna can't respect a surrender. Nope. And she's really preoccupied with the choices that Zelda makes in comparison to the choices that she would have made. Why is that? Who can say? Hmm. What, okay. You said this was one of two lines. No, the other part was the twilight in obscurity. Oh, yes. Did people really criticize the thing from Ocarina of Time where Link isn't recognized? 
I think so. What they criticized more was the inability to change a lot of things that um, happened in the adult timeline, like the fact that you never get to melt Zora's domain and save the Zoras there, things like that. Mm. But they very actively um, make him recognized in this one. I thought it was kind of nice that Link's actions remain not obscure because the Gorons know what he did. And the Kokiri mostly know what's going on, but the fact that he went unappreciated amongst the Hylian populace, and I guess the Zora populace, was actually one of my favorite things about the game. I really thought that they would just let this one actually be unrecognized, too. Nope. That stops as of pretty much this sequence. Yes, but that was one of our running theories. So we get this whole thing where we're reintroduced to the character of the kids and Link goes out and recollects all the stuff and puts together the light green bean and goes and delivers it to the light spirit who dispels the twilight. And then all the kids are like, oh my God, the twilight's gone. And they come running out and they see Link and they get super excited. And Colin's like, hey, Link. And then the other kids just like shove Colin literally to the ground as they're running past him to go say hi to Link. Yeah. Colin is is a poor put upon nice boy. Yeah, take that, Colin. I I like Colin as a character in a lot of ways because as the uh, little brother who looks up to Link, that's a st- that that is a particular form of character that I find compelling almost completely on its own. But him getting clowned on by the other kids nonstop is also very funny to me. I think this actually happened. That that sequence happens later does it let's take a moment i'm almost sure that it happens here. colin getting kidnapped happens later yeah colin that getting happens kidnapped happens later yes because that's where it's like he has to prove that he's not just a pushover because in go. this scene he's literally a pushover. oh yeah sorry there's a lot of there's a lot, lot of scenes, scenes about these this. damn kids yeah so link has to go back to learn sumo wrestling from Bo. as he's leaving kakariko some uh Bakoblins are riding in on Epona, and Epona kind of shakes him off, but she's still freaking out. So Link has to get on her and calm her down. Right. And that way, your journey back to Ordon will be much faster. Because Link, on his own feet, is not nearly as fast as Wolf Link. Yes. And uh, at some point here, you'll have the opportunity to learn another skill from the Golden Wolf. You also have the opportunity to learn about the horse grass, which you will never use. Tell me about the horse grass. The horse grass is a particular kind of grass that grows in the shape of a horseshoe, and when you blow on it, it plays a Pona's song, as written by Malin's mom. Hmm, interesting. Link can't, like, you know, grass whistle without specific kinds of sh- uh, grass shapes. No. He, he, he doesn't know what music is. The music is produced by the grass itself. Link in this game. Link in this game is essentially tone deaf, as is revealed when he tries to go along with music while howling as a wolf. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's tone deaf. An unmusical Link. I think that this part right here, where you get a Pona back and you're about to go and learn Sumo, might be an okay stopping point. Okay. We got a little bit further than we intended. Yeah. Good job. This game's weird. It's it's weird structurally. It's so cutscene heavy compared to what Ocarina of Time was that I think it set expectations at that level for an entire generation of players. 
It's got so many cutscenes, I got confused at the cutscenes. Because, as the two of you may remember, up until the release of Breath of the Wild, the initial release of Twilight Princess was the best-selling Zelda of all time. Yes. It was played by the most people, and in all likelihood, played by the most kids. Well, yeah. A lot of kids got the Wii and probably got Twilight Princess. It's how a lot of them cut their eye teeth on the series, and it set their expectations for it going forward. Which, you know, that's natural. It's going to be interesting to see how kids who cut their eye teeth on the series with Breath of the Wild are going to have expectations going forward. But it's always struck me because Twilight Princess is almost singular in the particular focus that it places on cinematic storytelling compared to other games in the series. It is the MGS4 of the series. Whoa! I mean, not even necessarily wrong, but that feels like a condemnation almost. I like MGS4. How much do you like it compared to the other Metal Gear Solids? Uh, it's better than MGS3. <gasps> Ooh! Really? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, um, hold on. Let Ooh. me let me think about that for a second. Ooh. Yes, I, I'll stand by that. But the boss? No, we're not getting it. We're not, we're not going to argue with her. Okay. We're just going to let that. Okay, Crystal, I respect that. All right. It's my first Metal Gear. Metal Gear Solid Four was your first Metal Gear. Yep. That couldn't have made any fucking sense. No, it did not. <laughs> I played it with a friend on their PS3. I had no idea what was going on. Oh man, that's such a that's such a weird game to get introduced to the series with too, because like Metal Gear always has this undercurrent of its weird relationship with women, but once you start introducing like the frogs and the beauty and the beast core, it gets really weird. Yeah. Actually, what the hell was Kojima's like justification for the frogs? I don't, I don't the remember. The frogs were like the genome soldier equivalent in Metal Gear Solid 4, and they were all like super strong, weirdly attractive women with gas masks and shit on. Oh, okay. The justification is I would like good looking women in this and, and to I be mocapped. Like to- erotically choke them you do erotically choke a lot of female stormtroopers in that they game. do like they, they do like moan sexually when you choke them it's one of those games where women making pain sounds just comes across like women making sex sounds it is very clearly intentionally recorded that way oh really yes huh kojima's a weird duck sometimes uh-huh. You know, maybe it's not as good as MGS3. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, MGS3 has its own weird bullshit, too. That's the beginning of Kojima's whole thing, where woman is electrocuted so bad that it ruins her stockings. Yeah, that is... <laughs> maybe <laughs> Metal Gear is bad. <laughs> I'm not saying Metal Gear is bad. Metal Gear is a lot of fun. It's just got these really weird misogynist undertones in places that are very specific and repeating. But Kojima knows what he likes. But it's it's doubly Metal Gear Solid Four is a doubly interesting place to start the series because I don't think any other game in the series really has many female soldiers that you fight. No. Now, granted, I, I'm not one of the Metal Gear experts, of which Audio Entropy has an unusually high number. It does. But but I, I'm no, I'm pretty sure there are very few female soldiers in non MGS Four Metal Gears. But yeah, uh, saying that Twilight Princess is the MGS4 of Zelda isn't wrong because it is very singular as far as its own series goes. Should we do, should we do questions? 
Let's do questions. Where can people send us questions, Cameron? If you want to send questions to us, the best place to send any question is always Podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's Podcast at gmail.com. We love emails. Let me see if we got... Oh, I know we have emails. Oh, we got emails for days. Uh, should we do the Twitter questions first? First question comes in from Cass. Is this game too big? GameCube or Wii version? Where would you rank it compared to the others? Uh, it is too big, or at least it's not dense enough. The Wii version is superior because that widescreen, and I would rank it lowest among the 3D Zeldas and probably middle-ish of the pack overall. We're a crew that generally prefers 3D Zeldas to 2D Zeldas. Yes. I would say so. Um, I don't know if the game is too big is really a problem that I have with it. In, in some ways, it's over long for the stuff that you get through. I think that it uses its space badly, like Crystal was saying. Yeah. Which, you know, isn't that big a deal. But then you have something... It's difficult to look at it objectively now because after playing through Breath of the Wild, which is both much bigger and in some ways not as dense, but also moving around in it is fun and fulfilling all on its own. And Twilight Princess doesn't quite manage that. You get the impression that spaces in Twilight Princess exist to serve gameplay sequences, which can sometimes be mixed bags, though that'll come up more concretely in a later episode. And do you prefer the Wii or the GameCube version? Um, I guess between these two, probably the Wii version, because I like being able to aim with the pointer. Hmm. Though when we first played it, we didn't have widescreen, so that part didn't uh, wasn't as important for us. I like the Wii version because I really liked waggling to cut the grass, and huh. then the fact that you could waggle cut grass as you ran around. Oh yeah, can, can you can you run while cutting in the GameCube or Wii U versions? I don't know. I don't remember. Because it has to be something that we've tried, but I can't remember to save my life. Is this the only Zelda where you can run while cutting? Maybe? Because you can't in Ocarina of Time, definitely. I don't think you can in Breath of the Wild. This yeah. is the only one! And you can't in Skyward Sword. No. Wait. No. You? no. No, you can't. No. It's a different sort of waggle. It's a different thing. You do definitely stop while doing your real slashes. Though you can walk while moving your sword around. And how would you rank Twilight Princess compared to the others? Similarly to Crystal. Bottom of the 3D Zeldas. Um, I don't like ranking games in that way. But if you put... And any time that I say this is like it's only true as of the second that i say it but if you put a gun to my head i would also say yeah probably at the bottom of the 3d zeldas i'm glad i put this gun to your head yeah i mean it's a big gun now um there's another question here that's from me i came up with it three or four weeks ago at this point Basically, the question goes like this, and Crystal, I really wanted to hear your answer because it might help Monica and me form our answer because we talked about this bullshit for hours. So suppose you have to put together a list of three Zelda titles, and these three games will be played by a person who's never played Zelda before to give them an impression of what the series is about. Which three would you pick? Link to the Past, Ocarina of the Breath of the Wild. That's easy. Now, what's your reasoning for those? Hmm. Well, Link to the Past gives you gives you the 2D side of it. It gives you the foundation of the majority of the series. Uh, Ocarina gives you the 3D side of it and the further refinement of that foundation and the adaptation of it 
into what would become the mainline entries of the series for the next decade plus. And then Breath of the Wild is the modern reinvention of Zelda. Those are solid picks. Uh, yeah, those are... Uh, my initial uh, lineup of games I would have recommended would have been the original Zelda, then Ocarina of Time, and then Breath of the Wild for basically the same reasons. Um, because they're all three radically different games that represent three radically different design schools. So you could get a real impression of how widely varied the series is sometimes. The only thing is that both of the NES games are pretty unique within the series. That's true. Whereas if you play A Link to the Past and Ocarina, you basically understand how most of the games in the series work. That's fair. Monica, which were your three? I mean, you had multiples that you might end up recommending. I was very sure that it was going to be Ocarina of Time and Breath of the Wild, but I couldn't decide what game two was going to be. It would really depend on the person if I knew who it was, but Cam insists that you could not know. Yeah. So depending on the day or my mood, it would probably either be, uh, you know, Majora's Mask or Skyward Sword. Because those are the ones that you basically hold as being the best ones to pick. Yeah. Because it's like you just want them to get the best of the best. Right. Or Wind Waker even. Yeah. It really depends on my mood. That's that, that's one of my favorite kind of questions, because what games do you see as being most representative of the series? And Link to the Past is an almost fundamental pick, because it's become so seminal in the minds of Zelda fandom that it has almost completely supplanted the original game. But I guess I don't really care about them getting a whole impression of the entire series. I just want them to get, you know, what I feel are the most enjoyable I think Majora's Mask and Skyward Sword also make very good third picks because they're so different in at least some ways from the structure of the games established in Link to the Past and elaborated on in Ocarina of Time. Especially the way that you move through the world in Majora's Mask and how radically the mechanics change between the different forms. You would give them three games that play very differently and probably would not give them uh, fatigue for the series once they finish them. In spite of how colossal each game is. Anyway, that's it. I just thought that was an interesting thought exercise. Our listeners should form their own answers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would actually be really curious to hear what our listeners' uh, answers to that particular question would be. And if you want to send them to my Twitter, at Cam Ryder, I'd be super happy to hear about it. Okay, We got some questions on the regular Twitter. Do you have the tweet open? I do have the tweet open. Uh, Monica, I think you're next up. Okay. Jonathan asks, What happened in the scene that played at the end after Link stabbed Ganondorf? That's a matter of much debate. That is a serious question. Um, jo- I think we'll, we'll get to it. Jonathan, I, we'll get to it, yeah. I have to apologize sincerely, but we're probably going to devote like uh, 15 or 20 minutes to talking about this scene once we actually get there at the end of the Twilight Princess episode. Just 20? Maybe. We'll see. It is one of the most confusing scenes in the entire series. And like, and it's probably the most confusing scene in this game. And this is a confusing game in a lot of sequences. We have to lay out the possibilities and then debate the strengths of each. There's a lot going on. So, so your answer, Jonathan, is we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Eight episodes from now. Oh, come on. Jesse asks, who's the Twilight Princess? It's Midna. It's, it's Midna. It's Midna. 
I mean, Minna like mockingly calls Zelda that because she is now also the princess of a realm covered in twilight. But it's Minna. And we know that because a bunch of old patriarchs refer to her as the Twilight Princess. I guess princess in this context really is just like in My Little Pony. Yes, we're going to refer to My Little Pony where the princess is the monarch because queens can't be queens. No. And that also means that Hyrule, strictly speaking, isn't a kingdom. It's a dominion. Huh. What's the distinction exactly? Well, a kingdom is just about the place in which a king has authority but hyrule don't need no king it is literally the dominion of the gods oh i see but anyway twilight princess is midna your turn is it my turn yep oh shit okay um sky asks why aren't those yetis in any other zelda games why aren't they there are yeti like creatures called yuk in phantom hourglass yes oh boy they're very cute yeah but they also got some elements to them well, maybe these yetis are the only two yetis in the world, which is kind of sad. It's They're all off in the mountains somewhere. And they're an endangered species. And they avoid people, mostly. They're very shy. They're very shy, and that's why we don't see them that often. The yetis of Hyrule are very nice, but the yuk of the world of the Ocean King are mean. Is that what it is? They, yeah. Oh, I don't remember. Oh, I gotta get there. I'm, I'm playing through Phantom Hourglass again right now. Phantom Hourglass is a lot of fun. Yeah, the Anuki are good little people. Yeah, and weird. I think maybe the Yeti see that so much shit goes down in Hyrule the whole time, and much like Midna's choice, they decide, yeah, no, let's let's go. We're gonna fuck off. Don't talk to humans. Yeah. It never ends well. No. Sooner or later, it's gonna go bad. They're gonna piss off the devil or something. Oh my gosh, Ral. <laughs> Ral <laughs> asks... The perfect question, which is, where is the Deku tree? Where is the Deku tree? Where is the Deku tree? This is timed Where's perfectly. It? Good job, Ral. Um, well, the original Deku tree, as presented in Ocarina of Time, is dead. Yes. Yes. Like Groot. Yes, much like Groot. Um, but is does this mean that in the child timeline, maybe there wasn't a Deku sprout? Why wouldn't there be? I don't know. I think surely there must be, but... Mm. I mean, in the Twilight Princess version of this story, which, let's face it, is very weird, um, does this imply that the influence of the fused shadow may have kept the Deku Sprout from growing? Maybe. What other Why games happen after this? Hmm. Twilight Princess is the last game in its timeline. Because we don't count Four Swords Adventures here? Four yeah. Swords Adventures is on the Accursed timeline, I think. Yeah, yeah. okay. Maybe the few shadow is also there in the adult timeline, and that's why it's the Forbidden Woods. There's a lot of weirdness going on when you try to fit Twilight Princess in with the rest of the series, which is weird because it is definitely meant to be taken as a direct sequel to part of Ocarina of Time. The Deku tree is one square away. It's like a kilometer away, because a square in Wind Waker is like a kilometer. Yes, we just never go over to it. And it's true, like, a lot of the... um. The Farron Woods are largely inaccessible in this. Like, I always think about... It's the weirdest route that you go to to get to the, the Temple of Time. You have to jump around on all these really giant trees, and you don't get to wander around. This is a fixed, very side path. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, it could very well be there, just 
fallen or diminished in importance. It, the Deku tree is conspicuously absent. Is it my turn again? I think it's Crystal's turn. Okay. Jolly Monster Motivator asks, what's the best item in it? And why is it the gear thingy? <laughs> it being Twilight Princess. Yeah. And the gear thingy being the spinner, the sp- which is a very good item. The spinner is fun. And it's very fun in the dungeon where you get it, but I don't know if it's the best thingy. Well, the thing is that um, Twilight Princess goes in really hard on the idea of using dungeon items against the bosses. Um, And the spinner boss is pretty much the most that the series has ever done that, where the entire mechanics of the fight are determined exclusively by how the item changes your interactions with the environment. So I, I could definitely see an argument for the spinner as the best item insofar as that goes, though it's not actually my favorite. I like the ball and chain. That is I also might go mine. With double claw shot. Double claw shot is a very strong choice. Yeah, I would rank both of those because you can't use a spinner outside. It's weird because it barely has a function outside of the dungeon. After using the double claw shot in Twilight Princess and again in Skyward Sword, I don't know if I could go back to having just a hook shot. Yeah. I think the best thing about both the double claw shot and the ball and chain is the surprise that you get when you first get the item. It's like, oh, you got a second claw shot. Or you got that thing that the boss was using against you. It's on the ground there for you to pick up. What the heck? It's really good. But the boss fight with the spinner is really good. Mm -hmm. Big fan. What, What would be your ultimate pick, Crystal? The, uh, the double claw shot. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah, that makes sense. Good, good. Maybe, maybe Uku Jr., who's technically an item. Just takes you to his mom at top speed. Uh-huh. I could see that. He's, he's just a little head with wings. It, Uku, is, uh, Uku and Uku Jr. are extremely weird. Um, looking over at the emails, we actually got two questions from Michael. Okay. And the first question is... Has there ever been any fan art that attempts to translate the play of a game into a visual, I'm assuming a visual novel? And uh, Probably. Yeah, almost definitely. People, yeah. like, novelizations of games in fanfic is super common. But turning them into, like, graphic novels, that has to have happened. I don't keep up with webcomic versions of video games as much, but surely... Must be hundred percent. There's the you know the official manga too. Yeah, that's, that you can. That's basically fan art that of somebody got paid for by Nintendo. Creative liberties here and there, but yeah, <laughs> there's actually quite a few creative liberties taken in those manga. The other question that Michael asks, and this one might bear addressing for uh, lots of our listeners: uh, Do you have any plans for posting visual aids to some of the content that you're talking about in the podcast? As I listen, there are several names of characters that don't ring a bell visually and that I would like to see. I'm not sure how we would do that in in the audio medium. Unfortunately, with the way things are currently set up, I don't think there's any way for us to reasonably do that. Unless we did like a bunch of imager uploads and then read tiny URLs. But even that seems like a bit much. So unfortunately, no... We'll try to be as visual as we can in our descriptions. And as specific as we can be when we're referring to characters. But we can't really provide visual aids. That's just one of the perils of having a podcast. Uh, let's see. Is this the next one? Did we need, did we cover Benjamin's email? Um, Benjamin's email is from last week, I think. Okay. 
We did read this one in part one, right, Crystal? Uh, Benjamin's. Uh, remember, it has that opening that we were so touched by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we read that one. I okay. was just looking at the starred. Yeah. So, no. there we go. No. Okay, so uh, this next one is from Daniel. A fairly popular theory about Mario is that he is an actor who plays the character of Mario, hence um, Super Mario Bros. 3 being a stage play and everyone being completely fine and playing friendly games of tennis with Bowser, etc. That's also Cam's theory. Oh yeah, it's canon. It's not a theory, this is (laughs) word of God from Miyamoto. In Super Mario Kart 8, oh boy, Link was added as a DLC character and later included in the base game of the Switch version. Given Mario's status as an actor and how the Hyrule Circuit track has a very prominent The Legend of Zelda logo at the starting line, one can perhaps assume that Link is also an actor playing the character of Link in The Legend of Zelda franchise. Given how the character's appearance has changed over the years, one can probably also assume that he's had multiple actors, not unlike Doctor Who or James Bond. Assuming that Link is a fictional character in the larger Super Mario meta-universe, how many actors have played him over the years? Who is your favorite Link actor? Now, I know what my answer to this is going to be, so you two can have at it for a minute. <laughs> okay, so all two Links are the same actor. Yeah. Uh, I think Zelda 1, they probably cast an actual child who then grew up into Zelda 2 Link. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's two actors so far. I think Skyward Sword and Twilight Princess Link uh, are the same actor. It's three. Uh, uh, Ocarina has two actors for adult and child, so that's that's five. Um, the Oracles probably share an actor with uh, Link's Awakening and a Link Between Worlds and a Link to the Past. So we're up to six now. So that one actor was playing Link for like 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and then... Breath of the Wild? Breath of the Wild's a new actor. That's seven. Uh, that's that's all of them, isn't it? What about um, there were four separate actors playing Link in the Four Swords games? No, 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 no. They did a Back to the Future. <laughs> they did a Nutty Professor thing. Oh, so it's just like Link in four different outfits, like Parent Trap. Yeah. Okay. Like the Nutty Professor to Christmas with the with the Crumps, the Clumps. That's a deep pull. It's a good movie. Is it? Women do be shopping. Women do be shopping. Women be shopping. Okay. I can accept that. It's true. Women do shop. It, it, that's indisputable fact. Uh, <laughs> There's seven actors total. Yeah, that sounds all right. Um, I can I can concur oh, with that. Oh, and Hyrule probably. Warriors. I don't know about uh, Skyward Sword like, being the same actor as Twilight Princess. Maybe, I guess. He dyed his hair. And... He feels younger in Skyward Sword. But, yeah. you know, makeup can do amazing things for true. people. True. I don't know. So seven or eight. Um, one thing that I find really interesting about this is that I think Daniel's sort of suggesting that canonically Zelda as a series takes place in the Mario universe. But in an earlier episode, I think we actually touched on this, where Animal Crossing and Mario take place in the same universe. But Zelda is a fictional series within those. So... But within Zelda's own canon, separate from that, it's also real. Because of the yes. Oniroverse. Yeah, because of the Oniroverse. People have dreamed this. This, and... this was in the uh, Link's Awakening episode, I think. It's like when Stan Lee appeared in the Spider-Man cartoon, and he drew Spider-Man comics, but also Spider-Man was real. Yes, 
It's like that, I guess. Um, this is getting really hard to no, talk. No, no, like, is it like Captain America having comics in the Captain America, the first Avenger? Yeah, why not? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't yeah. know. I think Daniel seems to indicate that this is just like the, the character of Link, the, the actor of Link is appearing in Mario Kart 8. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think Skyward's, the actor who played Skyward Sword Link. Yes appeared in this racing promotion the actor who played skyward sword link in the version of skyward sword that exists in the mario slash animal crossing universe yes yes it's not the actual link who went on that adventure but the guy who's portraying the fictional version of the adventure yeah yes so okay, I'm so glad I have the two of you to nod along to my bullshit because I'm starting to confuse myself a little bit. So, Cam, what is your answer to this? What's the question? How many actors played Link? Seven or eight sounds good. Okay. That's a good number. I'm surprised that we went in as deep on as we did on how many uh, the Link to the Past actor ended up playing, but I guess like that explains a few things about why he looks so funny in Link Between Worlds. Because... Makeup's good, but it can only do just so much. He's a 35-year-old man <laughs> playing a 13-year-old. And who's your favorite Link actor? My favorite Link actor? Oh, I think we probably get the best performance overall out of Toon Link. It's got to be Toon Link. Yeah. Solid. Yeah, he's, he's, he's played in enough roles that he's gotten very comfortable with it and very much made it his own. So much so that we consider Toon Link a thing separate from Link in general. Okay. Thank you for that lovely question, Daniel. Yeah, that's a strong one. Um, should we leave this one for next time? Because it, it bears a little bit more truncating than most of the questions so far, which is to say yeah. we can't... Pre- I forgot to remind you to make a recording of this email. Yeah, it. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I really should have, but we, we can get to it next week. Shackle Draconis, we will read your email. It's just that it's very big. I'm going... Which we like. We love detailed emails, but I am going to have to truncate it so that it can be read more easily on the podcast. In fact, I may not even include this part, uh, but uh, Draconis' email is coming up next at some point. I think we're—and that'll be all for the emails. I think we should take this moment to thank the guy who um, wrote out the script of Twilight Princess. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, the, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Let me bring up their name. The script that we're reading uh, of Twilight Princess is the fourth edition uh, hosted at ZeldaLegends.net with the original author being MGoBlue201. MGoBlue201, I love this transcript. Including all of the commentary on it. It's, um, it's very charming. It's got lovely flavor. You can tell if you are Mgo Blue Two Hundred One, please get in contact with us. <laughs> oh Lord, um, yeah. It, it, there's a very great deal of dedication that went into this, and it really helps us with uh, talking about this game because otherwise we'd be, be pulling text dumps. Which, if you've never looked at a Zelda text dump, it's just lines are from all over the place. It's hard to place where they actually come up. They're not in any sort of order, so you need to partially remember a line in order to search for it in a text dump. But in the script here, we can look it up contextually, and that is really much, 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 much better. 
And it's also very nicely arranged in terms of being able to find lines from particular places and particular points in the game, including going back and visiting older locales at different points in the main story. And that's maybe not something we use quite as much on this podcast, but it's invaluable if you want to refer to the text of the game. So we really appreciate this. Yes. Cameron, where can people send us emails? Again, they can send emails to us at Book of at God damn it at Book of Medora Podcast at gmail.com. That's Book of Medora Podcast at gmail.com. Where can people find you online? They can find me on Twitter at Cam Ryder and nowhere else. You can find me online at Arcane Crystal. You can find me on the Audio Entropy Network on the Let's Plays podcast, the podcast where we scientifically and objectively rank every video game ever made according to quality. You can also find me on a new podcast that I started with friend of the show, Luke, called MCU Complete Me, where we talk about all the Marvel movies well, that's a hell like we do in the bonus episodes of this podcast. That's a hell of a name. That's a great title. Thank you. Oh, boy, some of those movies are going to make for real interesting episodes, huh? Which ones are you most interested in listening? The ones that I'm most interested in listening to the two of you try to navigate is probably Black Panther. I was going to uh-huh. say Thor 2, The Dark World, oh, oh, <laughs> as often the, as it comes up over movie? here. Uh, you know, the Black Panther DVD is out, which means clips of Black Panther YouTube are out. And I watched some of them and was like, you know what? These are good scenes. I should give this movie another shot. It is quite nice. We like it. I think we're probably going to end up buying the damn Blu-ray. They really should have left that scene in between um, Akoi and Njabu. Was that his name? Wakabi, sorry. Yeah, that was a good scene. Yeah. It's a super good scene, and it plays hard into the themes of the movie in ways that I didn't expect. It would be good if the movie had more scenes like that. Yes. It really would. And you read that apparently they they fought really, really, really hard to keep that one in there. Like, Kugler was eventually alone by himself shouting against the rest of the production crew. It's like, no, we need this. You take it out, you're going to ruin the movie. And it didn't ruin the they movie. They didn't give Kugler final cut. Huh? <laughs> oh, I would just love to see a director's cut of this movie. It would be so good. But yes, I'm really looking forward to the two of you getting around to navigating the particular politics of that movie. And also Thor Ragnarok, because I, I know that Luke's not as... Like, one of the principal ideas behind this podcast is that Luke's not very into the MCU, right? Right. He's the he's the one who doesn't like the MCU, and I'm the one who likes it. What does he think of Infinity War? He hasn't seen it. Oh, okay. But, nor does he have particular interest <laughs> in seeing it, although he will in like a year from now. When you get around to that episode. Is it a once yeah. every two weeks podcast? Uh, well, we're gonna, we recorded last Tuesday and recording again this Tuesday. Oh, interesting. Well, I mean, Infinity War will probably be available for rental sometime in, like, July. Probably. You didn't have a joke prepared, huh? Yeah, I'm looking up jokes. Mm. Uh, okay, I got one, I got one, I got one. This comes from reddit.com slash r slash Zelda. Uh-oh. Posted by uh, Digredael as transcribed from an old unsighted issue of Nintendo Power. Okay. How did Link win the basketball game for his team? How? How? He used his hook shot. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Yeah, that makes okay. sense. You would just use your hook shot. 
Is... Okay, that, that was the very <laughs> muted response to that joke. I, I'm not a sports person, so it took a minute. Like you, you, you got to do like it. It's the kind of wordplay where Monica goes, "What's a hook shot?" <laughs> I was picturing like his actual hook shot. Like Monica's imagining Link <laughs> attaching himself to the backboard and going up there and just dunking that way. Yes, that'd be very good. Yeah, what if they made a Zelda uh, sports game. That would be the greatest joke of all. Okay, I'll end with an Iron Man joke. Oh no. Uh, what on. did we do to deserve this? It's the same one I used. Now I can't. Rem- it's we have to laugh much. harder so she I doesn't keep throwing jokes. <laughs> okay, no. Okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. What is Iron Man's favorite carnival ride? What is uh, what is it? The Ferris wheel. Boo! Boo! Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.